Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again. It's hard to believe that it's been a, a year since I have been up here. So just out of curiosity, how many of you were here last year when I was here to share? Okay, about half and half or so. So awesome. So it's always interesting coming back, kind of like knowing like, okay, what do you share again for people who are first time and stuff? So this is going to be a little bit different because I, I talked with pastors past week and wanted to do something where I get a chance. You know, I, I go around the country and I speak on this all the time and it's a heavy subject. And I also love to pour into church families in other ways as well. Uh, so it, we're going to do kind of a half and half here where I'm going to have a, a chance, the opening half, so kind of a chance to share something that God has had on my heart that I hope is an encouragement for you uh, in the upcoming year. And then, then I want to spend some time obviously doing updates and sharing about what's going on uh, with Destiny Rescue. So, you know, I, I look around and <clears throat> see so many children in here and I'm reminded back to 2017. So in 2017, my wife and I uh, are three, we've adopted three girls. Uh, my son who's here with me today. And then in 2017, we adopted three girls that at that time were 14, nine, and three. And uh, it's amazing because the oldest one just graduated high school early and we just moved her over to Grace College uh, last Monday. And it's starting her, she's like, got a college girl now, <laughs> college graduate and a college girl, which I don't know how, because I'm not getting any older. So I'm not sure how my kids are. But <clears throat> any of you go down to, to Goshen for the county fair? That's where I live, is down in Goshen. Anybody make it down there during the summer months for the, the county fair at all? So uh, in 2017, on Sunday night, they always have a worship team there. It's a worship night at, at the fairgrounds and that. So the girls moved in on July 13th of that year because my, my three-year-old turned four on July 16th. And then the next week was the county fair. So they had like just moved in. Everything was so fresh and, and I'm a pretty emotional guy. So I just was in this time of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, the, if, you, if anybody's been in like foster care or had family members who've adopted and just know what that long process is like and the up and down roller coaster of all of that, you know, it was just this big journey that we were on. And we're at this concert on Sunday night and Danny Gokey is doing the concert and I'm sitting there, and I've got my three-year-old on my, well, now four-year-old, on my lap, and i got my other two girls sitting next to me, and my wife's sitting there, and I'm like, I'm just kind of this emotional mush pile, you know, during this concert that's going on. Danny's talking about family and faith, and I'm loving this, and, he, and just this beautiful, it's like, oh, I got my girls, I got my girls, this is awesome, I got my girls, and I don't remember what song he's singing about, but it's just all about faith and family, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful moment, and my four-year-old leans back. And she says, Daddy, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is going to be that moment <clears throat> where she says something so deep and so profound that it's going to etch this memory forever in my mind. Danny's talking about love and faith and family. Daddy, I need to tell you something. Oh, what is it, my precious child? What do you need to tell me? I tooted on you. So, of course, I looked at my wife. I said, guess what your daughter just did, right? Like, my daughter, my girls, my daughter. Look what your daughter just did. Now, as parents, we've all been there, haven't we, with our kids? All right? We've all had our kids do something where it's like, oh, they're so precious, right? Oh, my, my little princess, my little girl. But then there's other times we get frustrated, don't we? 
We get, we get aggravated and this becomes this time that, that we get so upset about that and we, we use language that distance ourselves from other people. And instead of being mine, 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 it's like <laughs> yours, these, their, you, all this other kind of stuff. And I wonder, I, I've been <laughs> reading through an Old Testament book that I'm sure many of us spend a lot of time in, Haggai, right? Uh, y'all been in there this last week, I'm sure, right? The book of Haggai, don't name your kid that, or, or a pet, or anybody else. You know, that's probably not, not the best one. But I, I wonder, this whole idea of, like, distancing ourselves, I wonder if that's how God was feeling when the events were happening in this book. Because throughout Scripture, we read over and over again about God saying, my people, my people, my people. But at the beginning of this book, instead of saying, my people, he says, these people. There's this, this frustration that's going on with his people, and for good reason. Now, the background is, you know, we had this series of kings in the Old Testament, and there was a few good ones, but there was a lot of them that were disobedient, right? And after a while, God took action, and he ended up sending other countries in to take over Israel and Judah and take the people into captivity. And they were there for a long period of time, and they ended up <clears throat> around 538 B.C., they got to return to Jerusalem, and they started to rebuild God's temple. And God's temple, that just pop off. Sorry about that. Temple was, that was the representation of God being with his people, the temple. That's what that represented. And the people started building that, but then they got distracted by other stuff, just like you and I do, right? They got distracted by other stuff, and instead of focusing on the things that mattered the most to God, they instead focused on the things that mattered the most to themselves. So God raises up this prophet Haggai to confront the people, because that's what prophets do. They speak to people on behalf of God. And we read at the beginning of the book of Haggai <clears throat> in verse 2. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, not my people, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And why would God have been frustrated with them? He was frustrated with them because they gave up so easily. They made the same mistake that you and I make sometimes. They received opposition, so they thought it must not be God's will at this time. And we do all that, that all the time, don't we? It gets hard. This is just too difficult. So we think God isn't in it, and we just give up on it. But the truth is, is that the closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely we are to face opposition. See, receiving opposition isn't necessarily a sign that God is against you. A lot of the times, it's a sign that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Don't worry when people are opposing you. Worry when no one is opposing you. The moment you start to move forward and do something and be obedient to what God has called you to do, there's very likely spiritual opposition on the way. And when you find yourself being obedient to God and it gets difficult and it gets challenging and it often does, you need to say this statement over and over again to yourself. With God's help, I will choose the difficult right over the easy wrong. Would you say that with me? With God's help, I will choose the difficult right over the easy wrong. 
When you feel that God is leading you to do something and you feel like you're hitting resistance and criticism, it would be easy to throw in the towel to do the wrong thing. But instead, you will choose to say, God, with your help, enable me, empower me to choose the difficult right over the easy wrong. It would be so much easier for us to quit focusing in on God and just stay focusing on ourselves, to focus on building our own houses, to focus on our own agendas. It would be difficult and right to continue to build the temple, choose the difficult right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy when someone hurts your feelings to hold a grudge, to be angry at them, but it would be difficult and right to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. It would be easy to continue to spend more than you have and just buy whatever you want and go into debt. It's difficult and right to begin to climb out of debt, to live beneath your means and live in such a way that you can be massively generous with other people. So the prophet Haggai, he's coming to these people and he's saying, hey guys, the time is now. No more excuses, no more fear, no more taking the easy route. The time is now to do what God has called you to do, even if it's the most difficult route. Now, do we have any, any teachers or teaching assistants, former teachers in here at all? So you think about like, I remember I taught for a few years and I remember sometimes students would bring an assignment to me and they would hand it in. They hadn't finished it. You know, like, it's like the, you're looking at the sheet and you're like, hey, did, did you notice there's a back on the sheet here? You know, it was an unfinished assignment. And I think that's sometimes how it is. Like Haggai is coming to these people and he's going, guys, you have an assignment. You have not finished your assignment yet. Get it done. He's going to the people. He says, God has given you an assignment and you haven't finished it yet. And I wonder as you look back on your life, how many of you have an unfinished assignment still waiting to be completed? I wonder how many of you have had God something, had God has put something on your heart to do, but you've either brushed it off or you've set it aside along the way and you've got caught up with your own stuff instead. Look at how Haggai addresses the unfinished assignment with the people. This is what he says, starting in verse three. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about how you're living. Is it okay for you to be all focused on your own things while at the same time ignoring the important things of God? Paneled houses, those were high-end houses at the time. I mean, we're talking the equivalent of granite countertops, plush carpeting, beautiful crown molding, 4K ultra-definition high-tech televisions. I mean, they, they had accumulated all kinds of stuff. And it's not that God is against us having nice things because he's not, but he is against us putting nice things ahead of him. He's not against us having nice things, but he doesn't want nice things to have us. And at this point, the people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's house and God's priorities. So Haggai says, give careful thought to your ways. If we don't give careful thought to our ways, we end up in the exact same spot that the people that Haggai was talking to nearly 2,500 years ago. Listen to how he describes their lives when they're not focused first and foremost on God. Verse 6, 
You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Let me give you the modern translation. You're working your tail off, and you still don't feel like you have anything. You're pouring your life into some career, and it just feels empty and hollow. You have more than you've ever had before, and you still don't feel satisfied. You entertain yourself. You go to games. You go to movies. You eat out. Yet there's still a longing for something more. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Think about it. Are you putting your house ahead of God's house? Is there some unfinished business, something that God has led you to do and you haven't done it yet. You know, we're only a couple weeks into 2022. And when we get to the end of this year, how will you look back on it? Will it be a year that just blends in with all of the other years? Or will there be something extremely unique about it? This can be the year where you choose the difficult right over the easy wrong and follow through on something that God has been nudging you about, perhaps for a very long time. This can be the year when you finish that unfinished assignment that has been lingering around for so long. This can be the year that you give careful thought to your ways, and as a result, you choose to do something with your life that changes the trajectory and the mission of it completely. The time isn't next month, next year, or next decade. The time is now to lean into what God is calling you to be a part of and follow through, even if it's the more difficult route to go. So with his strength, he will guide you. He will empower you. He will lead you, and he will give you the victory. So... My wife and I, well, we live in Goshen uh, with our kids, and I've been with Destiny Rescue for three years full-time now. So I, I've been a pastor for 23 years, and in 2015, I brought Destiny Rescue into the church that I was leading in Goshen, and it was just a game-changer for us, for us to get to that place of realizing that, man, we... We need to do something about this. This is a massive issue. We need to do something about this. And in 2017, I was asked to start serving on the U.S. board. They had the money crunchers, but they wanted a pastor's perspective on the ministry from a leadership standpoint as well. And then at the end of 2018, um, it was August of 2018, I was going through this time with our elders and saying, I, I feel like... You know, every year I sit down and I ask myself, and we process this with the elders, am I still the right person to lead here at this church? Is this still the right fit for me? I feel like the answers are different. So we took about a month to process that, and we realized, yeah, God was calling me to something different. So I did what any rational person would do. I announced my resignation before I had anything else lined up. <laughs> Right? Because that's the normal way to do things, right? <laughs> no, no, it was this incredible transition. We announced in October because for me it was important for my church family to know that this was, this was a step of obedience. I mean, this is what I talked about all the time and encouraged them to, and tried to empower them to do is to take steps of obedience when God is leading. 
And that was happening in our life now. We knew that God was calling us to be done at the church, but nothing was lined up next. And it was this, uh, a step of faith on our part to, go, to be able to announce, hey, we're finishing up at the end of this year. We do not know what's next, all right? But within a couple of weeks of the word getting out, Destiny Rescue reached out and said, hey, let's have a conversation. And we had that conversation, and uh, I've been with them for uh, almost three years now. And, and it's been a game changer uh, for me. And I love being able to work with pastors and church families because I, I, I mean, at heart, I am a pastor, so for us as pastors, there's nothing that we love more than seeing our people engage with those things that matter the most and are the nearest and dearest to the heart of God. This is one of those things that matters the most and is nearest and dearest to the heart of God. So uh, some of you, I don't remember if I told Tony's story. Let me tell this real quick before we get any further into this. Tony is our founder. And we have been doing this. This is our 21st year of rescuing kids. Tony went to Thailand on vacation with his wife in 1998. And while they were there on vacation, he overheard what turned out to be a trafficker talking to another tourist, offering a young child for $400. And that became his introduction to this reality of like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Are you kidding me? And... That his prayer became, God, have mercy on these kids. Who wouldn't pray that, right? And they went back home. Uh, he's from Australia. And God did what he often does in a lot of our hearts. He didn't let go. And he kept stirring in Tony's heart. And over time, that prayer changed from God, have mercy on these kids to God, have mercy on us if we don't do something to help these kids. And they sold everything they had. He was an electrician by trade. They moved to Thailand in, nine, in 2001 and started rescuing kids out of trafficking situations. So this is one of my favorite verses uh, related to, to what we do. Uh, Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Listen to that. Think about it through the lens of what we're talking about right now. Listen to these verses. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Listen to this. Rescue the poor and the helpless Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. <laughs> that goes right back into our verse that we shared this morning, right? That's, that's God's marching orders for us. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Sometimes, guys, that's, there's a literal interpretation to that. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. And I couldn't help but think about this quote. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King uh, Day. So I couldn't help but think about this quote. Think about how this ties into this. Martin Luther King said this, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Here's what we're talking about, statistic-wise here. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. It makes more money than illegal drugs and firearms now. The best estimate is right now, human trafficking makes over $150 billion a year. $150 billion a year. And $99 billion of that is, is specifically sex trafficking. And what we know is right now, there's over a million kids around the planet who are being used in that capacity over and over 
and over again. So Southeast Asia is the worst place. It happens everywhere. It happens in every country. It happens in every state. It certainly happened here in Michigan. It's happening in Indiana. It doesn't happen equally everywhere. Southeast Asia is about, they estimate about three quarters of the children being trafficked are in Southeast Asia. There's a lower view of women in general in Asian culture. There's less opportunities for women as far as what kind of jobs they can hold. There's more responsibilities for younger girls that take care of parents as they get older. That responsibility falls to the oldest daughter. So there's all these, these uh, things that are going on that, that create this horrible, perfect storm of trafficking at all-time highs. It's about three-quarters of those uh, are in that section of the world. So that's been predominantly where a lot of our work has been. But this year, we uh, have moved into Africa as well. We're in Uganda, and we've been getting kids. Street prostitution is very much a big thing there. Um, so we've been scooping up kids all over the place with that. And then we've also moved into, and this is, there's certain countries that are undisclosed uh, because of our faith or because of the danger of what it puts our undercover agents into. We don't talk about, especially when we're being online and all those kinds of things. So we do have several new undisclosed countries that are in different places around the world uh, as well right now. But as of right now, we are rescuing in nine different countries. And our goal is to be in 30 countries by the end of 2030. Uh, so this is, this is the good news in all of this, that our goal last year was to rescue 1,283 individuals. We just got our final numbers. We almost hit 2,400 rescues last year. 2,400 individuals whose lives have forever been changed. And the ripple effect of that because it's not just the effect it has on them, it's the effect it has on their families and their future families as well. And you guys, because we did a rescue Sunday here last, last year, and you guys responded that, you are directly responsible for some of those rescues. Because of this church family, God used this church family to set some of those kids free. Kids that one year ago right now when I was here had no idea that help and hope were on the way. But because of your response, we were able to get them out of those situations and their lives are totally different now because of that. So I thank you for that. And that's something that we should celebrate together because it's an awesome thing. So how does all of this happen? Our, our front line is constantly on the lookout for children who are being preyed upon and, and exploited. Uh, girls like Lee, who at the age of 15, she was kicked out of her house in a small village, and she went to look for a job in the nearby city. And she was tricked because she went there and she was promised a job at a local restaurant. And it turned out it wasn't going to be a restaurant. They gave her a new dress. They gave her makeup, said, hey, stay here for the night, and you'll start working tomorrow. And within an hour of being there, one man after another showed up all night long. And that became her introduction to her new life for the next year and a half before our agents got her out of there. Girls like Bodum, who grew up in a loving home, but her father died when she was young, and her mom didn't make enough money now to be able to support the family, so she went to a nearby city. She was a naive girl. She got coerced into working at a brothel, and she was used over and over again, and she felt dirty and full of shame all the time. Girls like Noi, who remembers spending all day in her room crying until it was time to go to work again at nighttime, and she was afraid of the violent men and she felt worthless and she felt like everybody just looked at her like she was a prostitute and nothing more. Our team is relentless about finding these kids 
and setting them free to live out their God-preferred futures. So I'm going to just take a few minutes to go through. There's four different kinds of rescue that we do. And uh, some updates that go with, with each of those. Uh, some of you may have heard about some of these last year, but all of these, you know, are always changing all the time. So the four kinds, of primary kinds of rescue we do are covert, border, raid, and interventional. Interventional is kind of a catch-all. Like, we do get involved with labor trafficking. Uh, that's something we do get involved with. We get involved with rescuing kids who are forced to be street beggars. Uh, we get involved with that kind of stuff, too. Uh, temple prostitution, uh, you read about in Old Testament, still very much a thing. We have rescued 12- and 13-year-old girls. Uh, out of those kinds of, of situations. Uh, but our primary three, that's the ones that we're going to talk about, the border stations. So Nepal is one of the countries that we rescue in. And what's happening, like many countries, and even here in the U.S., is traffickers are using social media to connect with kids. In fact, when we do these rescues at border stations, over 50% of the girls that we interview, they first met their trafficker on social media. And that happens anywhere around the world. You will find that truth to be a reality. In fact, if you have kids that are on social media, you need to have those conversations about how to be intelligent, how to be smart on converse. When I'm talking to my kids, I'm like, hey, if you, do, if you don't know this person in real life, you have no business being connected to them on social media. There's no benefit to that whatsoever. If you have younger children who are playing video games, those video games have chat features in them nowadays. Traffickers are all over those. You need to talk to your kids and your grandkids about the dangers of being online, social media, and video games because it is everywhere. Traffickers are all over the place, and they're making more and more use of any kind of digital platforms to be able to find kids. So our border stations, uh, we've added more. Last year, we had 10 border stations. We now have 14 border stations, and we're looking to double that in the, in the coming years as well. But this is places where these girls that live in Nepal, where one of these neighboring countries, an undisclosed country, traffickers are going in there, and they're promising great-paying jobs. And when you're in these third-world countries and you're extremely poor, you, hope out, you hold out hope for anything that you hear, like, oh, this could be the answer to my family's problems. And so they're, they're going and they're traveling across these borders to, to work into to India. And, um, and it's dangerous countries to be in. So we're going in there and almost all their agents at these border stations are actually uh, fe native females for our border stations. And they're sitting at the border. They have the armed guards behind them because we have what's called an MOU, a memorandum of understanding that allows us to work with the government on this. So... Anybody who comes across that border that looks like a minor, they have permission and authority to stop and ask them questions. And in that conversation, if any red flags go up in that conversation, they call back to the families to find out, do you know your daughter's here getting ready to cross this border? 99% of the time, they have no idea their daughter's at that border crossing. And if she takes one step across that border, she will never be seen again by her family. So the good news with these is these are preemptive rescues. We're rescuing kids before they've been abused, but it's definitely something that was going to happen if we didn't intervene in that traffic flow. But that's about a quarter of the rescues that we end up doing. Covert rescues. Now, we have, we're one of the few organizations that actually has our own undercover agents. We have typically 35 to 40 full-time undercover agents. Uh, I'm on our U.S. team, so I'm not an undercover agent, but when I travel to our countries where we rescue at, I get to go out undercover with our agents. So when we go out with covert rescues, we're going into places that we've identified are using and abusing underage girls. 
we're going in as a group of guys that are out for a fun night on town. So we're going in, we're sitting down, you order your drinks, girls gather around the table. And then you select who you want to sit with or are very likely be taking with you that night. In fact, the number of places you go into, they don't have hello, my name is tags on them. Nobody cares what their name is. What a lot of places have is literally numbers pinned on them. And that's how they get ordered for the night is by number. We go in there. We go into information. We get the youngest ones to sit with us. We go into information gathering mode, trying to figure out how old are they, contact information, anything we can do to verify uh, that they are a minor. And then the hope is, is that after a couple nights, we've built enough trust that we can pay what's called the bar fine. They think we're, you know, going to you know where to do you know what. And, but the reality is, is we're taking those girls to a safe place where one of our caseworkers or native speaking agents is able to say, hey, this is who we really are. This is what we can do to help you get out of this situation and start living out that God-preferred future for you. So that's about a quarter of our rescues. And then half of them is the raids. That's where we take things to a whole nother level. Because we have those MOUs in place, <clears throat> now our guys are able to go in. They've got the hidden body cameras on them. So now we're going into places. We're not just looking for underage girls. We're actually gathering video evidence against the traffickers as well. So when we get the green light from the local police that we have enough evidence, we go in as a joint team and do a raid on places. And now we're able to rescue girls, arrest traffickers, shut down establishments that believe they can use and abuse kids, and we're able to prosecute those traffickers to the fullest extent of the law. So in places like the Philippines is a country that we do a lot of rescuing in. In the Philippines, if you're caught trafficking two minors, that's a 30-year sentence, and 30 years for every child after that. Two years ago, we were part of helping arrest a couple that was trafficking 10 minors. They each got a 270-year sentence uh, for that. Uh, for me, that wasn't enough, but uh, the, the countries are serious about this, and they, they are battling after this. Um, so what I want to do now is I want to take, I, I, I sent a short video and in this video, this is Tony, our founder. You're going to hear him directly. And this is him. I don't know if we can, I didn't even ask about that, if the lights can go down during, I don't know if it's a little easier to see that. Uh, but this is Tony, our founder, who's going out on one of these undercover missions. And look what he found out while he was out on that mission. You know, I'm thankful for the verses that you shared uh, today, because you're right. There, there's nothing pretty about what we do. Uh, there's beautiful stuff on the other side of that with rescues. But the stuff that our agents have to go into night after night and be around and the environment that they have to be around and the reality that they have to be exposed to over and over and over again is one of the worst darknesses on our planet. Um, and I, I'm so grateful for those frontline workers. I know I heard from our lead agent in the Philippines and those guys are out typically at least six nights a week. They are relentless about looking for girls who are being used and abused. Here's something that I always remind people of, though. Like, in these situations where you see something like that, where we were able to get that girl out of that situation, those girls and the stories that, that I shared about Lee and Bodum and Noy those girls, their stories don't start on night like this where our guys get in them. Their, their freedom story does not start on those nights. Their freedom story starts on mornings like this 
when God's people get stirred up and decide to do something. And because God's people here get stirred up and decide to do something, that sets a series of things in motion that ultimately leads to kids being set free. But it doesn't start there. They don't get to do what they do on nights like that if we don't do our part before that. What we do together, what we choose to do together, what we choose and how we choose to respond determines what they are able to do. So what each of us does and how we respond is so, so very important. So that means that you and I can choose together to start some new rescue stories today and our time together today. How do you do that? <laughs> well, first, let's talk about afterwards. So after we've rescued kids, it's not just about setting kids free. It's about keeping them free. You don't need to read all the, the details on that. This is what you need to know, the freedom plan. It's a unique plan for each girl, and the people who know each of these girls the best is going to come alongside them and make sure that they have their needs met the best to set them up for success for the long haul. So they're going to come along and they're going to look at what are their medical needs, what are their emotional needs, their educational needs, their spiritual needs, their psychological needs, and they're going to put a plan in place that's going to help that girl be successful for the long haul. And part of that is we partner with over 100 organizations. Some of those do aftercare. Some of those do job training. It doesn't do us any good to rescue kids if we don't do aftercare and then set them up successfully with a job to be able to safely support themselves for the long haul. So it is a holistic ministry. We're most known for our rescue efforts because we're one of the few organizations in the world that's actually going in. And we're the only organization I know of that's focused like pretty much exclusively on children for trafficking. Now, when we go in and do those raids, we take everybody with us. So we end up getting girls that are 18 to 25 and sometimes a little bit older than that as well. But of those 2,400 rescues last year, over 75% of those were children under the age of 18. But we do end up getting over 18 because of that raid dynamic. But everything we do starts by looking for underage girls. That is our primary motivation in all uh, that we are doing. So how, how do we get involved with this? How do, you, how do you do this? This is what we know on a tangible way. We know, because we've been doing this 21 years now, we know on average it costs about $1,500 to rescue a child. That's the average cost to fly our agents in where girls are being used and abused, do their undercover work, which has expenses with it, and then get that girl to a safe place to start her freedom path. On average, it's about $1,500. So we know for every $1,500 that's raised towards rescue efforts, we know a child's going to get rescued. In fact, when we go in and do those raids, we divide our operating costs by the number of children who are rescued not by the total numbers that are rescued by children. So we can tell people confidently that we know $1,500 is going to rescue a child. There's a good chance, depending on how it's used, it could end up rescuing several individuals out of a trafficking situation. But we know with confidence that a child will be able to be rescued with that $1,500. So there's that tangibleness of knowing that you can do that. Now, I believe this before I came to work with Destiny Rescue. We are the richest country in the history of the world. What are any of us ever going to do in our lifetimes with $1,500 that would be more significant than rescuing a child out of this kind of situation? I, I don't know how that, if that's not number one on the list, how that's not right there at the top of, of that list for anybody. 
uh, to do with our resources in our lifetimes. And some people have the resources to do that, and if that's what God stirs in you to do, then do it. A lot of people don't have that. So then we have another, our other primary program from the financial standpoint is the rescue partner. I've got packets of that out at the table, outside the doors. But that's the idea that all of us can do something. So the rescue partner is whatever monthly amount you feel God is putting on your heart to give, that you can do that on a monthly basis. But it can be any amount. There's no designated amount because we want everybody to be able to be in the fight. So I have, I have middle school and high school students who do $1, $5 a month. And I've got people who do up to $1,500 a month. But it's the idea that all of us can do something to be in this battle. So if that's something that God stirs in you, then, then lean into that. But as I've mentioned several times, you know, as pastors, money is not our primary thing. <laughs> that's not our, our motivating thing in, in anything we do. So the money's important because it literally leads to kids being rescued. But it's not the part I get the most excited about. The part that I get the most excited about is when we talk about being a voice. Because when we talk about being a voice, this is talking about what you can do. Because you've heard some big numbers, 150 billion, 99 billion, 1 million. Those are some big numbers. But the most important number you need to hear today is one. What can you do in the next year to rescue one child out of trafficking? And once you make it that goal, that becomes a lot more doable. And when you start looking at the fact that God has given you a unique sphere of influence of people that are unique to you, very different than the sphere of influence he's given to me, and God has never wasted a day of your life, so all the experiences you have, he can use those as well. So when you start thinking about being a voice, what is, where do you work? What's your knowledge with work? Is it something your business can get involved in? What's your expertise? What are your hobbies? What are your passions? And how can you use those? How can you leverage those to raise awareness about this issue and in the process, set a child free? And people are doing that all over the country, and it's awesome. So <clears throat> I know uh, two years ago, the, the youngest ones that we had was uh, in 2019. We had two seven-year-olds in Fort Wayne. One of them sold lemonade. One of them made little homemade candies, and they did that for the summer. Those two seven-year-olds raised $2,200 and rescued a child. Uh, I've got motorcycle groups. I've got three motorcycle groups this year that are planning on doing a motorcycle ride. They're just taking what they already love to do. They're just doing something on purpose with it. So their rides, all the admission fees for it, the food that gets sold, the merchandise that gets sold, all of that's going to go towards rescuing kids, and they're just doing something that they love to do. I've got groups that have basketball leagues and softball leagues that are going to do something uh, this year. we got all kinds of groups if you're into running or just walking and stuff. We have people that do 5Ks and 10Ks and, and do all kinds of things. I was just at Grace Co or, uh, Goshen College Wednesday night. <clears throat> we have a student initiative. Students get onto rescueop120.com. Check that out. That's our student initiatives, rescueop120.com. But we have students from across the country that are doing things. Wednesday night, Goshen College, the men's and women's basketball teams, they did blackout games. So they wore black T-shirts, and they had their logos on it, and it said, assist in the rescue. And then they had businesses that came alongside and made a pledge for each rescue and each assist in both of the games that they were going to donate so much. And then we had announcements during the game, raising awareness, and then people had an opportunity to give online or just uh, there at the table if they wanted to. So you take college students 
who decide to use their platform as student athletes, dedicate a game. They're going to do it anyway. They just decide to use their voice and their influence, and they raised almost $4,000. And because of that, almost, that's about the equivalent of three kids getting rescued. So it's not coming up with brand new stuff. What's stuff that you already love to do, and what can you do to make a difference about that? So, <clears throat> Pastor, I'll have to give you a formal invite for this, but uh, in October, would love for a bunch of you to just come down to Goshen. It's not far away. It took me 32 minutes to get here, folks, so it's not very far away at all. And I some of you come here two hours just to get <laughs> to here, so that's nothing for you. But uh, this past year, Goshen Rotary, they got together, and they said, we want to rescue some kids. So we put together, it was a 24-hour freedom walk at Goshen High School, and people came and went during the 24 hours. They could walk, they could run. They had like 30 businesses that sponsored it, that got behind it, and then churches and schools and businesses put teams together and came and participated in it. This year, it's going to be a 12-hour event. I think it's going to be 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on October 8th, I believe, if that's a Saturday. And, but this community came together, and this one event, they raised a, on the first year doing it, they raised just over $129,000 and rescued 86 kids. It's us coming together and deciding this matters. This matters to God, so it's got to matter to us. If we're going to claim to be his kids, then the things that matter to him better be the same things that matter to us. But all of us have the ability to come up. God has given all of you amazing creativity. All of us can come up with an idea to bring other people alongside of us and do something to raise awareness and rescue one kid. So if that's something that God is leaning into you for, talk with pastor, grab my business card from the table there, be in touch with me. I love doing the brainstorming part of that and helping people figure out uh, what their best yes is with that. <clears throat> you have tremendous influence and a powerful voice. Use it. Follow us on social media. A lot of times Facebook and Instagram. Share those posts. Add your voice to it so that the people you're connected with know, why does this matter to you? Use your voice. But you can do something. We can choose to do something together today to start brand new rescue stories. So let me, let me finish with this story. <clears throat> it, it's easy to share stories like I, I, I can go through story after story of like, oh, this child was rescued and man, they went through this, this program here and then they got into to this here and they're reintegrated back in their village and they're married. Like we've got lots of stories like that. But lately, this is the story that's been on my mind is the reality is that, you know, we're, we're super excited that 2,400, almost 2,400 got rescued this past year. But the reality is we can't take our foot off the gas on this. This is something we need more and more people to get in. So I'm going to tell you of a rescue story that hasn't started yet. So in one of our undisclosed countries that we just got into this year, our CEO, Kirk, he went to this country to sign that MOU, that Memorandum of Understanding we were talking about. And while he was there... <coughs> He went out with the new task force on their first night going out undercover. And they went up to this place where they believed that kids were being trafficked. And they walked in there and they pretended to be customers, just acting like they were out for a fun night. And sure enough, soon enough, a trafficker came to them and approached them and asked if they were interested in, in some ladies. 
and they're playing the part. And they said, yeah, but we're, we're interested in young ones. Do you have young ones? And he said, oh, I've, I've got two young ones. I've got a thin one and a thick one. And that's all he ever referred to those girls at, is in that entire conversation, was the thin one and the thick one. And then he proceeded with great delight to share with Kirk what he himself had done to those girls. And then our team got to go and meet those girls. They had the video cameras on them, so they got video evidence of those girls, got video evidence of the trafficker. And then they started talking to the trafficker about, because they want to know how big this network is. So they said, do you have other young ones? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can get all kinds of young ones. So then Kirk had to come back to the U.S. <clears throat> so at that point, they started gathering video evidence, but then the team, once we landed agents in the field, were going to start looking at how wide is this network for this trafficker? How deep does this go? How high does this go? But it takes a while to get those teams in place to get new agents. When you open up a new country, you got to train new agents and they got to get familiar and they got to build a relationship with the existing agencies that are in that country. And that takes time. So as of right now, those two girls are still being trafficked and are still simply known as the thin one and the thick one. And it's because of people like you, it's because of churches like yours that we get to rescue girls like that all the time. And they're not known as the thin one or the thick one or the ugly one or the old one. They get their names back. They learn what it means to be loved again. They get introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're given hope and they're given a future that they didn't even know was possible. And that happens because of people like you and because of churches like yours. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being partners with us. Thank you for setting kids free last year. And I trust that you are just getting warmed up. So thanks for being in this battle with us. Pastor, thank you so much for your partnership, for your personal heart for this as well. And I'll, I'll let you close things up this morning. But thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be here. It was good to see a lot of familiar faces again. Thanks.